All right. Hey, welcome, everyone. So this is another episode of Mental Health in Tech. Um, we've been doing a couple of these. Uh, I've been taking a bit of a break uh, due to the, the birth of my daughter, but it, like now we're just churning out these, um, So which is great to be back on track again. Um, and so in this episode, we have uh, invited uh, Jeremy. Sure, Jeremy, you should correct me if I'm wrong. I think your surname is pronounced Nagel. Yeah, nailed it. Yes, because it's it's very it's very close to Afrikaans Nagel. I, I would have accepted that as well. <laughs> okay, Jeremy Nagel, a, a Dutch name originally. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, um, so we're back, um, and I think we were actually just talking, and and so many stuff we were just talking beforehand, and so many things came up as we were talking, and we were like, oh crap, we should have recorded that. <laughs> um, that we just went like, you know what? Let's actually not do any introductions. Let's just head straight into it. So you know, like um, this is kind of the explicit "let's do it live" um, version of it. Um, so let's see how it goes, but. Um, Another thing as well, without going on a bit of a tangent, is I'm, I'm wondering how much background I should give about myself every time we do this, because my guess is that if you're listening to this one, you've probably already listened to a couple of these, and you don't want me to go again, hey, my name is Skulk, I'm a contractor, or whatever. Um, but so, yeah, you can just Google me if you want to learn more about like who, am I, who I am and what I do. Luckily, Skulk Fainter is a very unique name in tech. Um, so unique that my co-host is also named Skulk. But like, uh, I think the fact that that's like a very interesting dynamic actually shows you how unique like a name like Skulk kind of actually is. Um, so we're probably the only Skulks in tech, though. And yeah, so, so one thing we do do um, since our very first guest, uh, Gideon, has kind of introduced it to us, is that when we introduce ourselves, um, we also just give a bit of a, take a bit of stock in terms of how we're feeling, where we're at, and so forth. Um, so I'll do mine quickly, and then I'll hand over to Skalk Nietling, and he'll do his, and Jeremy, then we can hand it over to you, and then you can also just kind of, like, also uh, introduce yourself, and also, like, just give a bit of take stock of where you are emotionally and so forth so honestly from my side like sure this is probably the worst i felt um in any of these episodes i was not keen to do this right now um which actually means that like this is exactly when we should do these type of discussions yeah i'm i don't know like i don't know whether i'm getting sick or whether it's just exhaustion um or just like so many things going on but you yeah, like i i feel awful um I just think I just need a lot of sleep. So for those that don't know, I, you know, my, my baby is about six weeks, my baby daughter is about six weeks old now. So yeah, that kind of puts your body, but through the paces, but also emotionally as well. It's, it, it's tough because not only are you tired, are you tired, but so this is my second child and, and things get real um when you have kids and you know when you have more than one kid like you, you start thinking about the future you start thinking about the decisions you make you start being like a specifically as i'm seeing my my, my first uh, daughter inga like she's about two now and you kind of just see how fast they grow you kind of i don't know like there's a lot of existential anxiety that comes with that so i think i'm dealing with a lot of things emotionally and also i'm just like tired and exhausted so yeah uh, 
but I just resigned myself to, I'm just going to show up, you know, and then uh, if I don't actually talk that much, I'll just chill in the background and listen. Um, I guess it's better to be here than to not be here, regardless of how much I actually provide a value. But yeah, so that's where I am. Um, yeah, Skolt Nietling, um, maybe a quick introduction of yourself and kind of where you're at at this moment. Yeah, thanks so much. And yeah, I, I know what it feels like. I haven't been in the in this small child world for a long time. Like my youngest is 17, but um, it is exhausting. And I do get what you're saying about um, how you think about the world and how you think about you and where all this is going and why what's the point of all of this um does become quite a quite a regular topic on your mind um yeah it, it's for real so I, I i hear what you're saying um who am i i almost am not going to go into too much because it's always hard to answer anyway so i would say yes google me <laughs> i'm sure you'll find a bunch of stuff but um in the the gist of it is um, building my own company. It has a lot to do with open source, with web accessibility, front-end consulting, teaching, um, and just I'm into the whole indie maker space. So anything that's indie related, I'm I'm super keen to be there. And um, yeah, I love communities. So I run a couple of communities. One around um, supporting indie makers called the Indie founder support group and then I also have a community for early staged web developers called the Mycelium Network. Um, so that's like a rough thing. I also record two other podcasts, um, but that's about as much as I'm going to go into. And then my, how am I doing? Mm, I'm okay. Uh, it was my first first of the month as a 100% indie creator, and it was a rough one. Um, I'm still, I'm still uh, some some payments bounced and that kind of thing because the money didn't quite come in at the at the pace that I was expecting it to. Uh, so I need to uh, put out some fires and explain myself to some <laughs> some companies. But it's okay. Um, they'll they'll live and I'll live and to fight another day. Um, yeah. Other than that, I mean, I'm pretty good. Um, I'm I'm feeling a lot more positive, which is good, even with everything that's that's going on. Normally, when stuff like all these you know things not going through, the payments not going through, it's it's one of those things where they say um, when money is not a problem, it's not a problem. But when money is a problem, it's the only problem. Um, so I, I I get what that what they're trying to say with that. It, it becomes very all consuming um, in your life once. Once it, it, it's, you go through a bit of a dry spell, a bit of a tough time. But things are looking up, um, so I'm, I'm going to keep being positive and just keep going at it. Um, I'm tired for a different reason. I'm tired just because I have early mornings. Um, what I mean by that is like working until 2, 3, 3 a.m. Because I'm a night owl, but also because I'm you know building my own company. So there's so much that, that you have to do, and so... Um, 9.27 in the morning is really early for me. <laughs> but I don't mind making the sacrifice because I enjoy these conversations so much that, you know, 
even though I, when I woke up, I was like, I have to get up. I was just like, yeah, but it's for a good reason. So yeah, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm awake. And um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So with that, I'm going to throw the mic over to Jeremy. And please, Jeremy, take your time and tell us everything about you, because I only know you by name and by some Googling I did. Well, I'm now feeling guilty for having roused you both from your bed. No, put the guilt aside. <laughs> I'm grateful for the opportunity and hopefully we'll I have a good chat. I also want to say, like, it's, like, I can promise you I've been, I've been awake, like, four hours now already. <laughs> um, like, like, I didn't wake. Like, yeah, I think you underestimate, like, how, like, of a late sleeper my daughter is. <laughs> Well, I hope she maintains consistency at 5 a.m. And then <laughs> consistency is probably the, the main thing, regardless of when it happens. So I, for my intro, I don't have kids yet. That's something that my wife and I are working on. And it's, I'm, I'm trying to collect stories about both the, the positive and the challenging parts of it. And I've, I've heard that first six months are really hard. And then after that, it gets better. So. Hopefully that happens for us if, if that does come through. And apart from working on a family, I've been a, a software developer for 12 years. I've been in sort of the indie hacking, indie maker space for a while as well. There's a, a group called MicroConf that I really like, a collection of software developers who are doing micro businesses. And that was the business that I had more recently that I ended up then selling to a, a large corporate. And that's now my day job, working for the large corporate, running the business that I had before. And then I'm also, I've got a, a new side business called Focus Bear, which is around helping people like myself who are neurodivergent. I'm autistic and I have ADHD. And I've basically built software tools to help myself with various executive functioning challenges and trying to help other people as well. And apart from feeling guilty, I am feeling a little bit relieved because I've got a, a product launch in the day job that's going live on Tuesday and there was some support content that I needed to get out there and I wasn't sure that I'd get it out in time, but I mostly did it today. Looking forward to having a chat. And I think maybe a good place to start w w would be to kind of contextualize how you ended up here. Um, so, you know, like, I think we're, we're not at the point where people are just mailing us at random and saying, hey, I want to I want to come and talk to you guys. Um, so effectively, I actually know Jeremy because he so go taking it all the way back. So, sure, I can't remember, 20, 2016, 2017, yeah. 2017. Yeah, he he wrote an article um titled i think uh, programmers who give a shit yeah. um where he, he kind of lamented how powerful kind of tech skills are in this day and age and how little people are actually just considering using those skills for the greater good um you know like those skills are primarily applied to making money um and at that time, I was I was kind of working at Open Up, which was a nonprofit um, working within the realm of uh, civic technology and so forth. So exploring the intersection between um, civic technology and well, between civil society and technology. 
And actually, that's also how I know Skulk Nietling as well, because he also used to do contract work uh, for Open Up as well. And um, yeah, at that point, I was like, like myself and, and a good friend of mine, JD, we were doing actually doing work for National Treasury. Um, so I think uh, I messaged Jeremy and I said, like, you know, like, hey, it might actually be worth talking about um, the work that we do. And also, like, what are some of the challenges, you know, like, so... Um, at that point, I was going through like a bit of a revelation in terms of what it means to apply your tech skills for social good. You know, like I think if you haven't done it yet, you have a very naive view of it, like in terms of, oh, I'm going to use machine learning and blockchain to solve world hunger or, or whatever, you know. Um, and I think once you start exploring the spaces, you realize it's actually very frustrating. It's actually very boring. And it's very, like, demanding. And it takes a big toll on you. Um, and just, like, um, at, at that time, I also felt like a lot of not enough people were talking about kind of people who were working at these intersections between technology and some type of, you know, civil society or social good or, or so forth. So, um, yeah, and I, I think then, so that, ironically enough, so then he interviewed us for his podcast, and like now I'm interviewing him <laughs> uh, for my and Skulk's podcast. Um, also, just another very interesting thing. At that point, uh, Cape Town was going through like a water crisis. Um, and, you know, like there was talk of like water. There was this thing about day zero and this talk of water running out and whatever. And it's very ironic that now that, that like we're kind of in a podcast again together, there's like an electricity crisis. <laughs> and we are like at stage, what, stage five load shedding or whatever. And I, I have my generator running in the background. So uh, it seems that like whenever Jeremy and I are on a podcast together, like there's a, there's a big lack of some strategic resource in the country. <laughs> so I, yeah. I feel like but I, I, I shouldn't do another recording with you. Otherwise the next one, there'll be no food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's going to be like, like, like national hunger or something. Thing. Um, so, and, and I think the reason why I actually approached, so obviously I was kind of like following Jeremy a bit on like LinkedIn and kind of like commenting on some of the stuff he posted and, you know, and he, you've been posting quite a lot around kind of like, as you mentioned, your own neurodivergence and, you know, the focus bear stuff and, and, and so forth. And I actually thought like that, like there's actually a really great conversation there to be had with you. Not only about those things, but I think also because between the three of us, there's definitely also a, a big interest in using technology for good. And I think there's, there's some interesting things to explore there in terms of where, like what are the correlations between people who, you know, I don't know whether it's people that are open about kind of the like emotional struggles or so forth or mental struggles and being open about challenges socially and so forth. Yeah, like I, I don't know how to articulate it just yet, but I think there's something interesting there as well in terms of the where these two worlds overlap in terms of people that tend to fall more within this type of way of experiencing emotions and stuff and concerns around the state of the world and, and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll let whatever that the way of articulating that would be to just emerge organically. Um, but I, I think uh, a, a good place to start and maybe a question to you, Jeremy, would be like, you know, like, I think all of us um, 
myself specifically, I know Skulk as well, and I would assume the same for you as well. It's not like you woke up one day and then all of a sudden you started like struggling with ADHD or, you know, with things related to like autism and so forth. And then just started speaking about it openly more often than not like you kind of experience these things in private or struggle with it in private and then you make a deliberate decision to be like i'm actually going to start speaking about this openly um correct me if i'm wrong if that wasn't the case but i'm curious kind of how you yeah i'm curious how you arrived at that point what led to you saying like i'm actually going to start posting on linkedin about this stuff for me the point where i started being public about it was actually when I got formally diagnosed because I had always suspected autism from when I was in high school that I I had major social challenges. I mean, these days I think there's a lot more early diagnosis. When I was a kid, it was probably less well-known that certain social difficulties might be linked to different neurodivergences. And I'm very happy that in Australia, at least, there's a lot that teachers are aware of it, that parents are aware of it, and being able to help young people at an early age means that there's less trauma accumulated over the years. The ADHD was a real surprise to me, though, because I hadn't really associated myself as someone who would be ADHD, because I primarily think of ADHD as being the hyperactive kid, and that wasn't really me. I was a pretty quiet kid, but there's the two angles of ADHD around the inattention and hyperactivity and that was me that I'd I'd be in class and I was generally quite ahead of the rest of the class so even though I was daydreaming it didn't really matter because I was able to figure out the answer so I didn't get really get picked up but it's something that as I got older and I started to have to manage my own schedule I had major issues with some of the executive dysfunction that is often associated with ADHD. For example, in high school, even though I lived five minutes away from school, I was late to school nearly every day. And part of that was because I didn't enjoy high school, but it was also that I just, I'd get into this state of time blindness, which is a common ADHD term where I'll be hyper-focusing on something. In high school, it was playing computer games. Later in my day job, it was writing some code and getting so immersed in it that I didn't realize that, oh, I should have already gotten on the train by now. And that caused problems for me in a career perspective. I got fired from a job. I was a co-founder slash CTO of a, a startup and I was really enjoying that title. But because I was consistently late for board meetings and I was generally disorganized, my co-founder basically thought that I wasn't the right fit, which was probably the right decision, but that was very painful for me. And there were other situations too, where my, my difficulties with generally being organized, being on time and being able to cope with emotional stresses resulted in me losing jobs. I basically got fired from my first five professional jobs, which wasn't really great for my self-esteem. I have now learned strategies that have allowed me to, to get back on track. But I, I didn't really seek formal diagnosis until last year because of the, the cost associated with it. I had had a pre-diagnosis of autism seven years ago, but to get it formalized was going to cost me several thousand dollars. And I didn't really feel like it was actually going to lead to any benefit. So I didn't bother going down that path. But then more recently, uh, I've had the money to be able to do it. 
and it has been amazingly freeing. I had thought that getting a diagnosis would make me feel bad about myself, but it's been the opposite, that it has meant that instead of beating myself up for some of the character traits that I had seen as character flaws, I now see it as part of my mental makeup. Not to say that I want to always say be late for meetings or do things that are going to affect other people, but just have awareness of why it might be hard for me and then specific tactics. Yeah, that's very, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And then like, I also want to in a second hand over to Skulk to maybe like kind of ask some of his own questions, but, um, it's interesting because in the last episode, so we had uh, Bhavani on who she, she is, she also, um, has autism. And I think what I, one thing that I mentioned is, okay, so obviously it's a spectrum, you know, so, you know, there's, there's, there's levels of severity. Um, and I've kind of, um, for a very long time also, like, wondered whether I either, like, fall on the spectrum or I'm very adjacent to the spectrum. Um, I think that would explain a lot of things in my past and, and things that I beat myself up on. Like, and, and I think when I tell that to people who just, like kind of don't know me that intimately they they're like oh but Skulk you're so well spoken and and whatever and it's like yeah but sure like but a lot of that I kind of trained myself in a very mechanical way just from like oh you shouldn't say that in 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 you know like in uh in, in a group discussion or hey maybe you shouldn't be honest about this thing or hey people don't do that type of thing like just like in the in public or whatever and uh, so I think a lot of that is just like from trial and error, and like I've done, some, I've said some strange things, which I'm now like, oh yeah, I can imagine, I can see why that went down pretty badly, mm-hmm. um, and and I, and but like if you know me intimately, like you know, like like I think when I told my wife about this for the first time, she's like, yeah, that that would actually make a lot of sense, you know, <laughs> um, uh, but. Like, it's the exact same thing as you mentioned is that, you know, like, so I'm, you know, kind of close to, like, I'm, I think I'm like turning 37 this year. <laughs> like, I actually don't know for a fact how old I am. I, I think I'm 37. Yeah, like um, uh, no, but like, that's one of the people who always laugh at me, but like, it's like, I actually don't, I don't know, like, sometimes I forget how old I am. Um, and like it's the exact same thing, you know. Like like that's obviously now like there would be a cost, and like and what would really change? Um, and uh, like I think the benefit is, as you mentioned, you know, you would get a lot of like self acceptance and 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 so forth. But I think also I've gone through a lot of that already through the lens of depression, you know. So there's different lenses that you can look at it, you know. So I maybe went through it like through the lens of like self. I don't want to say self-hatred, but, you know, like, yeah, maybe self-hatred is an accurate word. But, like, so I think I made a, a lot of peace with those parts of myself, maybe through a different lens already. And where, like, if I were to get diagnosed now as, like, somewhere on the spectrum, like, nothing would really change. Um, but, man, like, if I were to have had that earlier in my life, in my 20s, you know, it, would have, it would really have saved me a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as you rightfully point out, at that time, it's like, it's, 
I don't know what it was like in Australia, but in South Africa, it's definitely like there was a massive stigma around it. And, <laughs> and you know, like people like viewed autism, autism like almost on the same level uh, as stuff like Down syndrome or whatever, you know, like it's like, oh, you, you physically like it, it, you can't have a functional life. Mm. Um, I think there also wasn't an awareness of like it also being a spectrum and a lot of stuff. So you didn't even consider it. You're like, hey, I actually... Uh, I actually finished high school, so obviously I don't have autism, you know? <laughs> like, because if I had autism, I would be, like, have to go to a special school or something. Um, yeah, so I, I find that very interesting, and, like, it's interesting that I'm kind of in a somewhat similar space than you. Um, but I think, once again, I, like, I've, I've made a lot of peace with a lot of those things through a different lens already, so I see very little benefit in actually pursuing that right now, specifically as... Skulk Nedling pointed out, you know, like funds and specifically the funds when you have two kids, um, it's probably not a big priority. Mm. But yeah, um, Skulk Nedling, I'm, I'm curious what questions you might have for Jeremy. Yeah, um, where to begin? Uh, so I think f on the one side, I think the whole uh thing behind being diagnosed i think it's a sense of validation that the thing you've suspected is true and therefore if other people were like you know there's these common tropes around mental illness which is uh you know back in the day what other skog was referring to is the idea of just cheer up um you know just you know life's tough for everybody get over it that kind of thing um and I think what, what we've gained through, because then there's people who, who would also say, why do you always want to label everything? And I, and I get that. I get that. Like sometimes sometimes we do over label things. We, all, we want to give every little thing in, in our lives and in the world a label. Um, but I think in, in, in this case, in these cases, um, there is a sense of validation in that, that where it's, it's you are recognized for being different and that your difference is not a deficit it's just that you function differently and if you play to your strengths you can be as efficient or perhaps even more efficient than the next person um but because and i think you and i think what happens in that case the reason why that happens is because the way you expend your energy is different so instead of trying to change who you are because people are telling you that who you are is wrong in a sense um you're not doing that because you're like oh but that's just me that's part of me so i need to find out how to work best with who i am um, and that's a way different way of, of expending energy um, so i think that is kind of like how I, I see the whole thing. And the fact that um, the fact that not being able to get that validation through a di uh, diagnosis, being blocked by money is, mm, it's a whole other thing that, that I don't know if I want to open that can of worms, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate that, that, that that's the blocker. That's that getting validation is blocked by your financial status in the world. Um, but I think what I want to jump into is, or maybe I should leave it at that, and 
you can kind of just riff off that, um, Jeremy. Yeah, there were a few points I'd like to dig into there. I liked that you were touching on deficits and strengths because that's one of the interesting things about ADHD that it has deficit in the name and there's some arguments that actually it's not really a deficit of attention but rather it's that often the world expects us to do things that are a bit boring whereas if there are things that can be made really interesting then it's very easy for me to spend hours on end and I think that's why I've tended to gravitate towards my own projects and to gravitate towards social impact projects because I really see the significance and meaning behind my work immediately and it's very motivating then for me to be able to work on it. So I think that's key that there's this idea of the social model of disability that if someone is in an environment which is set up for people who aren't disabled then they're going to struggle. For example, if you're a wheelchair user and you're in a city that doesn't have the curb cuts, then it's going to be really challenging for you to get around. But if they are in a more modern city that, that has those ramps at each of the curbs, then you can get around okay. And the same thing with autism and ADHD and other neurodivergences or even dyslexia would be a great example that in an environment where I have to spell, I have to write things with pencil and paper, and my then lack of spelling ability is going to be a real impediment. But in the modern world, with all of the assistive software that's built into modern operating systems, it's almost like spelling is no longer relevant. That we it auto corrects for us, and we can have things read aloud. That's what really excites me. That we're seeing a world where some of the inherent challenges are becoming less problematic because we can have society accepting people as they are and also ways of augmenting our own powers so that it becomes less of a problem and then in terms of it's the other side of it in terms of the value of the diagnosis beyond the validation what it has been helpful for me is being able to request specific accommodations in in respect of for example I really don't cope well in an office environment, and particularly not in an open plan office environment. And that's normally what I've been faced with in all of my previous jobs. And indeed, in my current day job, the office is super noisy. If I go in there, then it's very hard for me to do anything except have meetings because if anyone is talking next to me and I'm trying to write code or I'm trying to work on a report or do analysis, I can't do it. My, my brain is overwhelmed by the extra sensation. And so it's, I haven't actually really had to pull out the diagnosis in order to do it. I have disclosed to my manager and I guess disclosed to everyone because I put it on LinkedIn. But I haven't, I haven't necessarily had to put up a, a fight for being able to work from home. I'm very grateful for that. But I think a lot of people need a diagnosis in order to say to their employer, hey, you know how you want me to go into the office three days per week? That's actually going to have a net negative impact on my productivity. I'm going to get more done if I can work from home. And that's certainly the case for me. Mm. Yeah, that is really great. And um, like, sure, I have so many questions also around specifically. So you mentioned that you... Um, 
kind of set up a lot of structures for yourself and you know you've created tooling for yourself as well to kind of navigate that space um, and I, I do think there's a great discussion there for myself specifically in terms of when does that become procrastination because <laughs> I've definitely been in spaces where like no I just need to get the the space and the tooling and my office just needs to be yeah, very conductive to concentration and and yeah then then it's going to happen you know so I, I think um Something that I maybe I'm unsure for myself as well is like when is when is there a bit of tough love required? And I think that for me is a very hard balance to strike. Um, like maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe I just have less faith in myself um, in terms of my my ability to always engage sincerely. Like you know, like I I maybe like. I do see myself sometimes making excuses and stuff and like not wanting to do stuff that's fun and so forth. Um, do you think there's a danger in not being completely like almost like tough love, adver like adverse, you know, like, cause even with my daughter now, like sometimes I need to be like, no skull, like you need to, you need to wake up now in the middle of the night. So this is a decision you made, you know, like uh, this sucks, but you, you made this decision and like, no, get out of bed, you know? Um, and so, but that's just my personal experience. I'm, I'm curious specifically for you, Skull Nettling, as well. Like, is that a balance that, that you try and figure out yourself as well? Like, when, when do you need to just be like, um, you know, like, this is going to suck and I just need to actually do it to the best of my abilities? Um, <clears throat> sure, I can jump in. Um, I totally get it with, and I, I, that's one of the reasons why I'd love to talk about um, because you're right in the thick of it, Jeremy, um, concerning the tooling specifically around this stuff. Because um, I think these can play two roles. Maybe there's more, but I'm going to two of two roles come to mind immediately. The one is it can be this enabler um, where it it allows you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't have, or you would have struggled at the very least. Um, or like uh, Skulk, you said, um, it can be a source of procrastination because if I can just find the right set of tools and then everything will just magically work for me. And I think that then makes you put an unfair expectation on the tool that it will be a magic bullet that'll just, you'll install it, you'll open it up and suddenly your whole life will make sense. Um, I think with everything, there's there's this balance to be found between these things, um, because I know that when uh, so for like the first week or two in August, so last month, um, I struggled to find my footing. Um, you know, going from almost twelve years essentially working for a single company to now building my own company and now where previously my calendar was dictated by the client or the employer, now my calendar is mine to decide how I spend my time and where my energy and where my focus and money and all that kind of stuff goes. And it's amazing once you realize that and it sits, it like really settles in and you're like, oh, oh no. Did I make a mistake here? Was it better for me to be in that previous situation? And then, then you start grasping at these tools, 
because you're thinking like, oh, if I can just, if there's just a tool that can like basically play the role of an employer for me, then that, that'd be cool. But then it, then that is the thing. You're putting a, um, an expectation on these tools that is, that is just unrealistic. And so then you start blaming yourself, you're blaming the tools and you just start spinning your wheels and that's where the procrastination comes in. So it'd be interesting to hear, Jeremy, how you you think about these tools and how you what role you see them play um, and what are what are the expectations we sh we can have on these tools um, what what is their role really in in people's lives so maybe you can talk specifically to focus bear or um, what aspects of your experience with not finding tools that that work for you and therefore you decided to create your own like what what led to that and what are the what are the factors that you think are most important and most effective? I think there's an overall discussion about the role of guiding structure because it doesn't have to be a technological tool. It could be that I could write my morning routine on a piece of paper and stick it on the wall and that may actually have a, a similar benefit. The way I like to think about it is in Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, he talks about the two types of the brain. There's basically the, the lizard brain, which is the, the old style of brain where it's great for getting you out of a, a fight with a lion, but not so great for writing a report or doing some deep analytical work. And then there's the, the planner part of the brain, which is able to think about the long-term consequences. And my view on the role of tools is that I want to be able to use that planner part of me to set up structures so that when the reptilian part of my brain is telling me to do something, that I have an opportunity, a speed bump, so that I can actually question, is this the right thing to be doing right now or is it my anxiety speaking? Is it often part of the, the challenge for me that inspired me to do Focus Fair was anxiety creeping up at night time and thinking about all the emails that might be sitting there and thinking that I should go back and work more and more on the same thing first thing in the morning and that was having very detrimental impacts on my sleep and on my relationship with my wife and I really wanted a way of locking myself out of email a bit like in the Odyssey Odysseus ties himself to the mast so that he can hear the sirens that's what I was trying to achieve of making it so that in that initial phase where my own ability to have self-control was pretty limited, I wanted something to augment that. But I think it, it is important when the talk of tough love, I think it, it's, like you said, it, it's not enough to, to just put a tool in place. There's a book which talks about how silver bullets, technological silver bullets, really actually end up working that it needs to be accompanied by change in the way of thinking and the way of acting and yes in, in broader tech interventions it has to be about bringing broad society along but for myself it, it's a bit like the, the other tool that a lot of people gravitate to is ADHD medication in terms of taking something like Ritalin or Vyvanse which helps to upregulate the brain's ability to concentrate but if it's not accompanied by metacognitive changes in terms of me getting better at planning and me getting better at not saying yes to so many commitments, then the same problems are going to arise. And 
as the brain gets sensitized or desensitized to that extra stimulus from the meds or from the tool, it's going to stop working. So we, the way I'd see it is it's a, a crutch. And it, crutches aren't a bad thing, but you don't want to be walking around with a crutch forever. You want to use it to get yourself into a, a space where you can actually have more of a, a buffer between the reptilian brain and the planner brain. So it ties in with all the good stuff around the, the benefits of mindfulness, that if, I'm, if I do more meditation, then I'm actually better able to make good decisions about what should I be doing in the moment. But it, it's hard to do meditation when you are stressed out of your brain and you're not sleeping well and you're not exercising and not eating well and all of the other things. So I'd see it as part of a holistic solution. And that's what everything needs to be part of. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, I don't. So, and, and this is maybe a good segue into kind of speaking a bit about like tech and and tech in the wider like society and and so forth and like how all of these things intersect. But um, so very much related to what you spoke about. Like, so I think the World Bank published uh, like a very comprehensive report uh, about technology in the global south um, and civic technology in the global south. Like maybe eight seven years ago um, and like I found it to be a fascinating read but like disclaimer I find very strange things to be fascinating reads um, uh, and like effectively it came exactly down on what you said like it's technology is a force multiplier um, either a force multiplier for good or for bad but there needs to be something that can be multiplied um, like you can't technology can't solve specific civic technology as well like you can't like the solution can't be technology. Um, the, the technology can force multiply an existing solution, make an existing solution more effective, um, you know, more focused and, and, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, like I think that's also such a great analogy in terms of thinking about tooling for dealing with these type of things is there needs to be some type of practice or, you know, personal thing that you're doing and then using the technology as a force multiplier for that practice or whatever. Um, getting a calendar app isn't going to solve issues if you don't actually sit down and plan your day. Um, if you just expect it to do like, and I think this type of thing is actually just going to get worse now with the AI kind of stuff where people are just going to try and solve everything with AI, you know, solving, you know, ADHD with AI, solving depression with AI. Like it's, we're just going to throw AI at things and like think it's just going to be like a quick instant fix, um, which is very interesting. But um, we've been speaking a bit about like focus bear and so forth, and uh, you haven't really unpacked exactly what it is. So I think maybe that is a, that's a good next step is for you to maybe talk a bit about like what exactly is focus bear. Sure. So the, the goal of Focus Bear is to provide a holistic distraction management system. The overall philosophy is that we've got very smart people working at Facebook and Instagram and TikTok trying to monetize our attention. And it's quite hard as an individual to fight back against that. So the, the goal is to, to use tech to combat some of the allure of tech. And some of the, the key aspects of it are that if I go to Facebook, it will block it immediately for me because I've nominated it as a distracting website. And the same, I mean, Facebook actually wasn't a huge problem for me. The problems were 
largely around news websites. That tended to be a huge time suck for me that I'd have this idea of, I wonder what's happening in Ukraine right now, or I wonder if South Africa still has water. And I'd go down a rabbit hole of, of reading various news websites trying to answer this question, which was actually not in any way relevant to the work that I needed to do at that point. And just by having a system to to provide that speed bump, because if I really want to, I can go and find some obscure Norwegian news website that I've forgotten to add to my blocked list, and I can go and satisfy my desire for headlines that way. But just by adding it a, a bit more friction, making it more effort to go and do something distracting. It's almost like, oh, I can't be bothered doing this fun and dopamine enriching thing. I'll just do some work instead because that feels easier now than having to unlock my various distraction blockers. That's part of it. And we actually, I know AI is not a, a solution in itself, but we've got this feature where if you go to an unknown website where you haven't specifically marked it as safe or distracting, we use OpenAI to basically ask GPT, is this website relevant given that the user said that they're focusing on writing a report? Is it relevant that they go to this obscure Wikipedia article about Russian tanks, for example? And then it's pretty good at saying, no, that's not relevant. You probably shouldn't use it. That's one side of it. And then the other side is really trying to tap into the holistic solution that I talked about because I've I found for me that the days where I get up in the morning and I meditate and I go for a run and I do some journaling, I have much more productive days. So yeah, it's got the distraction blocking, but it, it's also got a habit feature where it, it guides you through each of the morning routine features bit by bit. So I can't, I can't actually access my email until I've meditated and gone for my run and done my journaling. And then once I've done that, it unlocks those apps for me. Yeah, and and obviously, so the comment about AI was more specifically at AI as the uh, the, the selling point itself, instead of AI once again, you know, being a false multiplier for a, a something that existed before AI, which is you know trying to block uh, specific sites um, and then using AI to enhance that instead of just throwing AI at the problem to figure out the solution. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's pretty clear, but I think I just wanted to also be explicit about that. Um, and so I think unless Kalk, there's, there's anything you maybe want to remark to that. I, I think from my side, what I just want to say is, can you, can you create an app like that, that prevents you from just like starting new projects? Um, cause that is my thing. My thing isn't like, um, news or it's like, um, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm writing this piece of code. And like, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, hey, okay, there's something nice that can be abstracted here. And I create an abstraction and I use that. I'm like, hey, this abstraction is really nice. Okay, let me start writing some documentation for it. Hey, like this actually makes a lot of sense. Awesome, let me actually register a domain for this and make it an open source tool. And like actually, you know, buy like SEO links, you know, or... Oh, it's uh, like if, if there's a tool for like just that slippery slope of like, hey, this thing is cool. Let me start implementing it right now. Um, oh, that, would, that would be amazing. If I can at the very least have a tool where it's like if I come up with a cool idea, then three months, like 
it, it prevents me from thinking about that thing for three months. And then it asks me, hey, do you still think this is a good idea? Like, <laughs> I think my problem is I come up with ideas and then I'm like, hey, I need to start trying this prototyping, implementing this right now in the middle of a workday. Mm. Um, yeah, so <laughs> if you even know about a tool that stops that type of thing, um, please let me know. Uh, but yeah, Skulk, I'm, I'm curious whether you have like any, any questions related oh, yeah. to that. Oh, yeah, no. First, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there's necessarily a magical tool that can do it, but I found, I find for me it's helpful to interrupt myself during those flats of fancy. So I, I have a reminder to myself every 20 minutes to take stock of what I'm doing and I, I write down in the app what have, I been do- what have I been doing in the last 20 minutes, what is my intention for the next 20 minutes. And I find that helps to actually give me pause of do I really need to be doing this right now or should I just put it into my to-do list my someday later list for three months time and like you said then evaluate do I need to actually spend time on it problem is that needs discipline yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I I want something to force me to do it that's the problem (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um but I I I have solution is maybe too um it's like you hate in, in this question that I wouldn't say it's a solution, but what I've what I have started doing because yeah, uh, Skulk, that is like my day every day is finding something that's like, oh wow, this oh this is like oh I can make this a web component. Oh, let me quickly go open a git git uh, new git repo and then start copying it over in there and then i end up spending more time on my little web component than the actual client project which is not good um and so what i've still i sometimes spend like sorry i just want to interrupt you but just to add to that like spending like half an hour just googling clever domain names or thinking about what Mm -hmm. this thing is Mm going to be called Yeah, that is yeah. my life. So I found that that the AIs are quite good for that. <laughs> like sometimes I can't come up with a variable name. I would like explain what it does and I ask the AI, like, give me 20 suggestions for a variable name. It's like, just call it something. You can make it better later. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> You're making yeah. it worse. <laughs> You're making the problem worse. You're telling me, hey, Skulk, there's an even better yeah, way yeah, to do this. better way to distract you. <laughs> I think that is helpful though, because I, I find if I go into Google, it's very easy to get super distracted. Whereas talking to Bard or ChatGPT, because it doesn't have all the clickbaity headlines, I find it avoids me going off. Get. <laughs> yeah, but right now it, it doesn't feel as tangent inducing as doing a, a normal Google search. That is very true. And I think that is why all these other ones are starting to kind of migrate into that space. Um, this idea of a almost a distraction-free search, if you could call it that. Um, but what has worked for me with these like flights of fancy, as you said, Jeremy, um, is, I mean, sometimes they are good ideas, right? And you don't really want to lose them. But I think where the angst comes from, for me anyway, and I think it's like a neurological thing, is this idea that if I don't do it right now, I'm going to forget about it. And this is potentially a a darn good idea. So what I do in those moments is um, I take my phone and I open up Signal and I record a voice note for myself where I just quickly talk through the idea and the basics of what I think it can be. And then I leave that voice note. And then at the end of the day or the 
next day, first thing, I download all those little audio clips that I made for myself, throw them into Mac Whisper, which is just a app that wraps OpenAI's Whisper, quickly transcribe all of them to text, and I put them into this notes thing called AnyType. And then my brain is kind of like in this process where I record it real quickly, and now I've made it a little bit more of a tangible thing by generating the text and putting the text in a specific list. My brain kind of calms down about it. It's like cool, we've made a note about it, we talked about it a little bit, and it's right there. The thing that would be cool is, is that last mile that you're talking about, and I think something that might be interesting there is like there's this app called Readwise, and they've got a thing called Readwise Reader. Um, and the nice thing about how I started using Readwise and the main reason was is this idea that when I'm reading a book on the Kindle and I make a highlight, all those highlights sync to your Readwise. And then on a Sunday, it sends you an email and it resurfaces some of the highlights you've made. And it tells you like, you made this highlight and it was in this book. And so that's the last mile for me. Like the voice note is super cool. Taking that and generating the text and saving that in any type is super nice. That kind of calms my brain down but it'd be super cool if you could then also give it like that last thing which is this mark to say in a month's time like resurface this idea to me if I haven't done anything about it yet and just remind me that this that I did this but also do it on a day like a Sunday that's not in the middle of the week kind of thing do it on a Saturday or do it on a Sunday so that you do not forget about this and so you sometimes do get reminded about these ideas and you jump back so I think this is again I think that you hit the nail on the head there, Scott, when you said like the force multiplier. So there's something that exists, but then technology steps in and say, I can fix the last mile problem for you and make this even better. Um, and that's what I wanted to say about the AI thing is, um, yeah, right now everything is AI. And there's a good and a bad side to it. And I think it comes down to expectations again. If your expectation is that AI will solve everything, you're going to be disappointed. If, you, if you're looking at it through a lens of, let's see what it can improve, then there's interesting things to try. Because now you're trying something. It's like, what if I, like privacy policies, like there's so many privacy policies. How do you know if it? If you want to sign up for a tool, how do you know if the privacy policy is like okay with your standards of when you sign up for a tool? It'd be super nice if there was an AI thing trained on a bunch of privacy policies guided by people who have your best interest in mind, people like Center for Humane Technology and stuff like that. Um, what uh, What's the folks? EFF, not the South African EFF. Um, you know, who's kind of trained it and so when you go on a site they say eh, you know what this site's privacy policy is super dodge I wouldn't and this is why we say so um, and where it can do it in the moment so to speak um, through an AI LLM so that you know you because otherwise people need to literally like review each and every privacy policy because you know the the extension that uh, the folks at DuckDuckGo makes um, it does do that but those are human Filters, So a human needs to look at the privacy policy and that's not scalable. So I think that's that amplifier that AI can play a role in. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That would be super cool. It's the, the Chrome extension, like you said. It's great for the larger companies, but for the more obscure ones that haven't been reviewed before. It would be helpful to just click a button and 
maybe it takes a minute or so for the LLM to process it, but it should be solvable. Next idea for the, the side project. Yeah, I mean, that is literally a side project of mine. Oh, no. It is literally. <laughs> I, I, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I can rest. I can rest, um, you know, like I, I can rest at ease knowing that you're solving that problem. I don't need, I have to spend mental energy on that skulk. Um, but like, I also want to say like, maybe, you know, like it, it's, it's not even about like, hey, I have this cool idea. I want to build a startup around it or whatever. It's almost like the, the idea itself and the process of thinking through that idea is almost like the, the, the what would be the temptation itself. You know, it's, it's not any like tangibles that come from solving. It's like, ooh, yeah, what about this? Ooh, what about this? I think like I'm just very easily excitable when it comes to like interesting problems um, and figuring like puzzles. You know, it's almost like a puzzle. Yeah, I think that's the problem. And solving a puzzle is way more interesting than, oh, I have to refactor these seven files and like, you know, file, <sighs> yeah, rename these variables and, and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, no, I feel the same. I, yeah. My only solution to that is having a team who can take my ideas and implement them because I'm unlikely to follow through on my own. I'm great at coming up with ideas and doing a proof of concept, but actually getting it from, say, 60% done to 100% done, that's not what I'm great at. But see, with that comes even more boring work, like writing reports and, you know, uh, doing like people like doing uh, KPIs, managing KPIs and stuff like that. Then I'm like, no, I'd rather just write code. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> But so we are we are getting a bit closer to kind of the end of the hour mark. And th- there is one thing that I as alluded to earlier that I would love to touch on. And, you know, like it, it would feel like a bit of a wasted opportunity if we if we don't touch on this and that. That is, you know, all three of us here have some social, I don't know how to articulate this, but some, some we're connected in some type of pursuit for a for greater good or for exploring intersections between technology and social good and so forth. And this is actually a trend or a, a a correlation that I find a lot of times like there there does seem to be a correlation between people exploring applications of like like not technology but even just like thinking about technology and what it is used for and you know thinking how it's placed socially and people that tend to in my experience struggle with you know, like even 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 the discussion we had with Bavania in the previous episode, like so she's very much um, like kind of looking at how can she actually um, so she's a manager and how can she in her organization, you know, like have a positive impact in terms of mental health and like kind of just general tech culture like some of the more toxic parts of tech culture uh, and so forth. And so she obviously, you know, also has a background like uh, with autism and so forth. And, um, you know, like I, I do find a lot of people that either have like, you know, like uh, autistic tendencies or have like, you know, uh, mood disorders or whatever in these type of spaces. And I don't know whether it's just like that these things are so prevalent that just everyone has some type of like depression or something nowadays. So by definition, you just find 
these type of people everywhere or whether there is something to be said around these type of discussions and people that struggle a bit in terms of adjusting to a world that has a bit of a very neurotypical requirement of 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 kind of what it means to be a functioning member of society so i'm curious what your thoughts are on that whether there is any links that can be drawn there i haven't really looked at research so it's anecdotes here but i think there's probably something to the idea that people who are more sensitive in general will be more attuned to injustice there's this concept of justice sensitivity which is a, a common trait amongst people with ADHD and autism and, and sometimes that can be really positive in terms of noticing ways where people are being treated unfairly sometimes it can be verging on cancel culture and doing seeing everything as an injustice which isn't always true but and I guess the other side of it too is with women one of the, the traits of autism and the reasons that it might not be diagnosed as frequently is that the stereotypical special interests of of men with adhd where say there's the stereotype that boys with adhd with, boys with autism sorry are obsessed with model trains and with machines and i think there's some research indicating that there might be a tendency for women with autism to be more likely to have a special interest of social activism and caring about making the world a better place. That would definitely line up with a lot of my anecdotal experience as well, which is very, very interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Skolk Nettling, I'm, I'm curious whether you have thoughts on this. Yeah, I do. Um, so I think it is this thing, I, I think, Jeremy, you said it, well there and in the sense that because you are experiencing the world from a non-neurotypical perspective um, you are finding that there are areas in your life in whether that's work life or personal life where it doesn't feel like the world was set up for you. Um, it feels like you're fighting the system consistently. And in so doing, you become more sensitive to, to that. And as, as you rightfully mentioned, this can go too far. So it's again, one of these situations where you have to like rail it in at some point and say, whoa, 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 because it, it can drive. I always, I don't know if you all saw, but there's uh, this, sitcom that used to run called My Name is Earl. And there was this one episode where uh, they end up on this like little community of people living together and they're talking about the climate and all these kinds of things. And then Earl gets all riled up about the fact that this is the first time he's hearing about climate change and all this kind of stuff and at some point he just like breaks down and he like just goes it doesn't matter what I do nothing's going to change it everything is just going pow 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 and I was like you can very easily get in, get there, where it's just so overwhelming and you just start seeing everything that's wrong with the world and you feel completely hopeless, where it's like, it doesn't matter what I do, nothing's going to get... And I think that's a dangerous place to be because depending on your mental state, that can go, that can go to a really dark place. Um, but I think in that is the story of why maybe when you already live with these challenges, you are more sensitive to them and therefore you start seeing them everywhere. And then you're like, and then I think what might 
what might add to that is when you find something that helps, maybe that be a therapist, maybe that be medication, maybe that be just access to medical care, um, and then realizing that there are millions and millions of people through no fault of their own um, who do not have access to these things, who can never even hope to have access to these things. And then you start thinking like, is there something I can do to help this? Can I talk about this and through that make a change? Can I, and if you're in tech, can I use technology in some way to help here? So I think it's, you know, it's this whole like cycle circle of events that, that, that leads us down that road. And then, um, but then we need to be very careful that we don't get too close to, to the edge and, and fall over. And I think that's where, that's where community comes in. And that's where it's so great that we are finding each other because we can see that in, in each other and say, dude, I think you're a little too close to the edge. Let me just, let me just pull you a little uh, back a little bit here. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely important to, I guess it's almost like reading that, there's, there was a, a book about climate change and the, the mental state that we go through and there's the initial state where it, it feels overwhelming and, and impossible and it takes time to get to the acceptance part of it where we can see what the actions are that we can take that are actually feasible and that are, that are going to make an impact but without completely screwing ourselves over as well. One, one final point I want to make on this as well is I, I don't want to create the impression that neurodivergent people are, are saviors of the world and that we're the only ones who can see problems out there. I think it, it's that point about diversity that I'm pretty bad at noticing, say, the emotional state of my colleagues, whereas my manager, who I believe is neurotypical, she'll notice really subtle signs that would indicate that someone's having a hard time I think that's really important that we have a mixture of people who can help with those different elements of the world, of the problems the world is going through. I tend to be more thinking about problems in the abstract, that climate change, I like the idea of working on that, and global poverty, I like the idea of working on that. But going and talking to a homeless person and having a conversation with them feels very scary to me, and I, it's not something that I do. I, I donate plenty of money to various charities that those tangible little actions feel difficult. And I, I think that's where the human equation is important and we, we need people who can handle all aspects of it. No, 100%. I, I appreciate the fact that, like, uh, thus far, uh, Scott Nedling has every episode, he's gleaned some wisdom from some old school sitcom. Uh, I think last uh, <laughs> last episode, it was uh, Fre Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, was it not? <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to what is going to be the source of um, insight um, like there's only so many sitcoms like yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have to start recycling but that's great yeah um i think just like in closing maybe from my side i and i think this is also why like so, so there's two things there sometimes i just wonder whether it's self-selecting insofar that people who are concerned with these type of things tend to have a different relationship with shame and 
than people who are like, no, you know, climate change is is a lie and humans aren't causing it. And, you know, people need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And, you know, if you work hard, um, like you can achieve anything, because I think the moment you realize that, like, there are great injustices in the world, um, there are more often than not some ways that you benefit from that and then i think that is some something that you need to work through and with that comes some shame and guilt and so forth and i think being able to work through that kind of almost makes you like in terms of self-selection makes you also more likely to be like oh yeah i also have like you know depression and like it's fine and i can talk about it and not feel ashamed about it and and, and so forth and have an honest conversation about it so i'm just wondering also whether it's just like not a case of like people who don't don't share these type of things also tend to like not want to discuss things like depression and so forth so it might not even be that there is more people within this world that suffer from these things it's just like maybe in other spaces it just isn't as discussed as openly um but there's definitely yeah i i I definitely uh, sorry jeremy i don't know if you want to chime in there Uh, yeah there, there probably is something around vulnerability and openness to new experience and sensitivity. Mm. That's a really good point yeah. that I hadn't thought about before, but it seems accurate. Mm. And I think like but as rightfully pointed out, there is a danger in that. And I think one thing that I realized in myself is that sometimes like there's this uh, my my one of my psychologists actually introduced me to it is that, like this idea of like um toxic uh like uh, what is it like uh, almost like toxic your toxic empathy um where it's and i think like also the word toxic is such a great term but i think in popular culture toxic has kind of lost its meaning and maybe i'm saying this because my wife is in pharmacology so we kind of equate toxic toxicity with like oh like pollution or something that's inherently harmful whereas you know like from a scientific perspective like toxicity it can be something that's good you know water you like too much water can be toxic um so it's almost like an extreme of something that isn't necessarily inherently good or bad but like if like if there's too much of it like it ends up like being toxic like, you know even vitamins can be toxic and then, like i really like that approach of like the, like for example something like empathy you can't push it to toxic levels you can push it to a level where you're paralyzing yourself and almost that paralyzation becomes an excuse for not wanting to do anything um like you don't take action because you're so because it's so much easier just being overwhelmed um as weird as that sound like lamenting and but like on the other hand there's also so uh, i kind of follow chris hedges quite a bit as well and um so he i don't know if you guys know him he's done a lot of great writing i think he wrote about he has a great book called war is a force that gives us meaning which he talks about his own like ptsd and so forth as a war correspondent um but I think he did a video series two, three years ago, maybe in, in the midst of COVID, where he kind of said that the the most healthy state to be in in this day and age is a state of mourning, like like in terms of the world, um, in terms of where the world is, the state of the world. Like if your default state isn't a state of war- mourning, um, that is a sign of maladjustment. Um, and I find that very interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually it's an unhealthy relationship to have with the world if you're not if your default mode isn't in this day and age like mourning and like and that's very interesting you know like and then that kind of also touches on the idea of maybe some people are just more sensitive to these things uh, some other people might be able to compartmentalize it a bit more but like then once again the flip side is where I was um, at some point in my life where I just physically couldn't get out of bed because the world is just so fucked up um, to, to, to use the technical term <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and I think yo, that, that's maybe a good place to end it off. <laughs> but um, on a high note, yeah, yes, there we go. Like going out with a bang. <laughs> All right, the world sucks. You suck. Everything sucks. <laughs> See you guys next time. <laughs> but was, yeah, no. I but I think say, like, you, it's, you can still have some joy, joyous moments during the grieving process as well. So. No, hundred percent. And I, I think it's there's like like and and but there's meaning that can be found in that. And I think that's the key for me. And I think like the 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 opposite of meaninglessness, you know, like isn't what would be the word? Isn't like vitality or excitement or whatever. Like having things be meaningful can also be painful. Um, and I think for me that was a good insight is that the, the 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 thing you shouldn't pursue is necessarily pleasure um, but meaning and meaning meaning isn't like a lot of times meaning is actually painful um, but it's rewarding um, and it, it kind of there's a sense of peace that comes with meaning but anyway yeah um, sure now, now we're going like now we're going all all in like uh, um, you know the not Freud like more Lacan yeah, 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 exactly. Now we're going like, like, like a psycho, a psychoanalysis, full on psychoanalysis. So uh, let's maybe stop right there. <laughs> yeah, so it's called, I don't know if you maybe want to lead us out. Um, I think we can maybe end off by, uh, I like what you did last time where everyone says something that kind of they found interesting or insightful or, or so forth, um, like the last couple of weeks or so forth. Yeah. Yep, that works. Um, so, to tie a ribbon about your last comment, I found a lot of meaning, painful meaning, from my dad's passing four years ago. I realized and reflected on the last year of our, our relationship and the, the years before that and realized there was a missed opportunity for a much better relationship. So, you know, during the mourning process, I, I discovered that and it made me also remember more of the joyous moments, talking to what you said there, Jeremy. Um, so yes, there is there is sometimes joy to find in the midst of mourning and there's sometimes a lot you learn out of that process. Um, what I found insightful... Wow, I think this is one of those where I haven't really listened or heard or watched anything that's been super... I watched Painkillers, though, which is the series you you talked about, uh, Skulk, in, in, when we were talking about Vani. And I get where where it has... It definitely hits home that uh, it's, it's... Yeah, it that was that was intense. That was that was an intense series to watch. It's really good. Um, so I think that, that was... I resonated <laughs> with it. Yeah, especially those of us that have inclinations towards addiction and, and self-medication and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so easy to, to not see where you're going until you're really, really 
down, 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 very down, very low at rock bottom. It's so easy to get there. One forgets when, when you've climbed out of the hole, you forget how easy it is to fall back in. So yeah, that was that was a really good one. Um, I think something that 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 we can also uh, mention is when you're when you're working, when you're focusing, when you're writing code, what's around you? And what I mean by that is, what do you do? You use headphones, and if you use headphones, what's playing? What's in your ears? Are you? Uh, some people put it like a movie on the side while they're working. Other people listen to music. Other people have white noise. Other people just want complete silence. I'm curious what the two of you um, have in your ears, so to speak, if that is what you do. For me, I'm still finding what works for me. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I thought it was music. Now I'm unsure. So I'm trying other things. So I'm selfishly asking the question to maybe try something that you, the two of you are doing and see if it works for me as well. So that's where I'll end off for me and let's outro with that. I've been, for, for a long time, I would listen to podcasts or audiobooks while I was writing code, especially the CSS where it feels like it's very mechanical and it doesn't really require much thought. But I've started to realize that it's actually not that great in terms of my ability to focus, that I, I don't absorb that much from the podcast or the audiobook, and I'm not as productive as I could be. So I've been gravitating now towards, I was doing trance music, but I was finding that was keying me up a little bit too much. So I'm now doing soothing classical music. That's my current playlist on Spotify. And I'm finding it's actually making me feel good listening to some violin music while I work. And I, I haven't watched anything or read anything recently because I'm on a external information fast at the moment. For the last five weeks, I've decided I'm going to try and minimize what's coming in and focus instead on having more mindful moments during the idle times throughout the day. That's amazing. Hi. I, so yeah, I have a lot of success with like drum and bass, uh, specifically like a really old school jungle music. I don't know what it is. It's like a, that franticness. I'm like, I don't know. There's like a cadence there between like the coding and like just how frantic it is. Um, but a lot of times I put on like podcasts, but specific, I don't know how people do audiobooks because it feels to me like something like an audiobook or whatever. If you miss one second, or you miss one little piece, then you're completely lost. Um, so I put on, like, I really enjoy podcasts that are very meandering, very tangential. Dare I say like this one? <laughs> Where it's like, you know, like you have all these tangential discussions and stuff going on. And it's, it's more like having people speak in the background. As opposed to, all right, now we're going to talk about this. Point A, point two, point three. And if you miss point two, you're completely lost. Um, so the one that I really enjoy is, well, there's your problem. Um, I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's like about engineering disasters and stuff. And like that show is just like one big tangent. It's like... It's like, like it can very easily be reduced to like 20 minutes. Sometimes it's like two hours, three hours long. Um, I really enjoy it. Like just once again, it's background. Another one also is Behind the Bastards uh, by uh, Robert Evans. Um, same vibe as well, like the tangent and the stuff and like just the, the, almost the musings and the thinking out loud. And I think that I find that to be very conductive to just like, I can't do silence. I don't know. It's like almost like, I can't, like, it's almost, I hear myself think and I can't concentrate. Um, 
but yeah so I, I tend to like podcasts or stuff um, that are very kind of meandering and I don't have to concentrate I can just and I can get enough of it like the cadence is slow enough that you can just get a little bit here and there and still kind of follow the threads um, yeah so that's it from my side yeah like I'm glad you actually asked that Skull because I don't actually have any other recommendations <laughs> so you gave me a pretty good answer <laughs> yeah, yeah that's awesome thanks for sharing mm. well with that, mm. I think this was another great conversation. Um, and yeah, I love podcasts that is conversational. I, I, I mentioned this to the folks from Changelog yesterday. Like I said, just thanks for making such great podcasts. And I know as a fellow podcaster, all the work and stuff that goes into this. And like Jared came back and said, oh, thanks so much for saying that. Which of the last couple have, have resonated with you? And I like shared three of them. And he was like, oh, so I can see you like more the conversational ones. And I was like, yeah, I guess I do like those ones a lot. So <clears throat> I really do. I do enjoy uh, conversational podcasts. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the conversations we have on this because I think they're also at the same time extremely meaningful and can have some meaning and resonate, resonate for other people. Um, so they don't feel as alone. I think something that came out of the previous one, the Bhavani, was the sense of being alone. Um, and I think the more that, that we talk about this openly and we have podcasts like this and people who are um, vulnerable and happy to be vulnerable and come on the show and talk about, talk about this stuff, more and more people will find a connection and feel a little less alone, which... Um, Oh, yeah, that's something that I, that I learned about. The uh, Surgeon General um, in the United States talked about mental health on the Sci-Fi podcast and um, specifically talked about the loneliness epidemic. And so I think, you know, us talking about these things and giving people some way of connecting with others, we're making a, our little contribution to making people feel just a little less lonely. Yeah, I can maybe squeeze in a super quick one there. A great book, Bowling Alone. Um, if you haven't read it yet, uh, which kind of also, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, I think yeah. I have it back here somewhere. Ah, yeah, it's a, it's a really great read specifically on that in terms of like social changes that kind of led to where we are today. Yeah. All right. Have a great one. Thanks so much for your time, Jeremy. Um, and Bye -bye. then I will see, I'll see you soon as well. Cool. Yeah. Lovely meeting everybody. Lovely meeting you, Jeremy. Uh, have a great rest of your evening and we all have a, rest, <laughs> a good rest of our day. <laughs> cool. Cheers.